Well, all right. Well, hey, we are so excited that you are here as we are beginning a brand new series today called uh, You Are Here. And that might sound kind of obvious to say, but uh, my hope is today to explain a little bit about what this series is all about and where we're going to be going for the next several weeks. But before we jump into that, I do just want to say again, uh, if you're a guest, man, we're so glad that you're able to be with us here at Grace. Welcome to Grace. And I really feel like if it's your first time here, you, you picked a great weekend uh, to be here. And the reason for that is because we are starting this brand new sermon series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks together. And so uh, the reason I think that maybe it's a great time for you to be here. We oftentimes say this at Grace. We say that the beginning of a new series is often the best opportunity to get connected to Grace. And so the reason for that is because the way that we tend to do things here at Grace is we kind of roll through things one sermon series at a time. And we sort of view a sermon series as one big conversation that takes place over the course of many weeks. And so the fact that you're here on the first week means that you're catching us at the beginning of a new conversation. So I think you came at an awesome some time. In fact, I would even encourage you, if you're a person that's trying to investigate Grace Church, if you're like, is this church, is this church the church for me? And you're trying to figure that out, I would actually encourage you to maybe consider locking in for the duration of this entire series. I think uh, that would allow you to hear the whole conversation front to back, but I also think that that might give you an opportunity to get to know us a little bit, and hopefully it would give us an opportunity to get to know you, which we would love to do um, as well. And so if you are a guest, you're just getting connected to Grace, I think it might be a good opportunity for you to kind of lock in for this uh, for the next weeks as we go through this series together. Like I said, new series today, you are here and uh, excited about the conversation we've been preparing for for a very long time now. I thought a great place for us to start would actually be to have you open your Bibles with me. And so if you have a Bible, if you would take it and you would join me and go to Luke chapter 24, uh, that's where we're going to be kicking off and kind of starting as we introduce this series together. So Luke 24, if you got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and get it out and open it and flip with me there. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible, uh, that's not a problem at all. And feel free to use one of the Bibles under the chairs. Page 738 is where you're going to find Luke 24 in those Bibles under the chairs. And then let me also just say uh, that if you don't own a Bible, like if you just don't have a physical copy of the Bible, we'd so love for you just to take one. You can have that. Make it a gift from us to you. Happy daylight savings. I don't know if that's how that works, but uh, there you go. So, so there you go, Luke 24. Now, as you're finding that, go ahead and flip it open, put it on your lap. We'll get there here in just a minute. But um, I want to start by kind of just kind of giving a quick story here as well. So um, one of the uh, kind, of, kind of unique privileges that I have being a pastor is that I get the great honor and opportunity to officiate a lot of different weddings. And so over the past several years in ministry, um, I've had a chance to do a lot of different weddings. And so I served uh, for seven years in a college and career ministry. And so you can imagine uh, working with young adults, I did a good amount of weddings there. And then uh, been, I've been here at the Medina campus as the campus fast pastor for about the past seven years. And so I've been able to do a lot of weddings through that too. So I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of, uh, of different weddings. And what a joy it is to be with people on their big day. It's just such a cool privilege and such a cool honor. But one of the things that... Uh, um, that is true about me, and um, maybe this is kind of something you'd never think about if you never officiated a wedding before. But one of the things I get really particular about whenever I'm doing a wedding is I, I, I try to make sure that I get to the wedding very, very, very early. 
And that would make sense, right? That seems like it'd be the responsible thing to do, but I think I probably take it a little bit too far. So there's been times that I've gotten to weddings four, uh, three, four hours before the ceremony begins. And I'll get there, I'll bring work with me, and I'll sit there and I'll do work until it's time for me to get into action and, and kind of do things. And the reason I do that, that might seem a little paranoid, it might seem a little bit, you know, overreactionary and things, but the reason I do that is because I like to leave a lot of margin in case there's some unforeseen circumstance to take place. Like if I get a flat tire or if, you know, I get lost or something happens, I just want to make sure I have plenty of space to get there and not be late. Because, you know, it's one thing if you're late to a wedding and you're a guest. It's an entirely different thing if you're late to a wedding and you're the one officiating it. And so I'm like, I just don't want to be that guy. And so I want to make sure that I'm on site. And so I could tell you that in all the weddings that I've done in all of my time, I have never been late to one. And I'm very glad to say that, but I will also tell you that there was one wedding, one in particular, that I almost missed entirely. And so I want to tell you a little bit about that. So several years ago, I was leading the college ministry, and there was a couple that was part of that ministry, and they were dear friends of mine, and they had a wedding, and they asked me if I would officiate it. I said yes, and so we had the rehearsal, and the rehearsal went well. It, we did the rehearsal at a church, but the wedding itself was actually not going to be at the church. The wedding was going to be in a barn in Southern Ohio. And so apparently the bride's family owned some property and they had a barn in Southern Ohio and it meant a lot to her. And so she wanted to get married at this barn. I said, that's great, no, no problem. And so I, I remember at the rehearsal, I was talking to them and I said, look, I've never been to the barn before. I said, so you guys are gonna have to give me some, some clear directions on how to get down there. And they said, okay. And so they gave me the address and they said, whatever you do, don't use your GPS. They said, every time people put this address in their GPS, it takes them some weird way and they get lost. I said, well, that's good to know, thank you. And they said, sure. And they said, we'll, we'll make sure you get directions. So they had me sit down with another relative who was part of the family and that relative sat down and said, let me give you step-by-step -step instructions. And so they wrote out for me by hand, step-by-step -step instructions of how to get to this barn in Southern Ohio. I said, great. So next day I got up, of course, like usual, I left very early. I started to head down to Southern Ohio. It was about a three hour drive and uh, everything went great. Uh, no flat tires, no you know, emergency situations. It was smooth sailing all the way down until I got to the destination that was indicated on the map that I was given. Because when I got to the destination that was on the map, not only was there not a barn, but there wasn't anything. There was just a field, big old cornfield. And I thought, okay. I said, well, you know what? That's no big deal. This is why you leave early. And so I'm sure there probably was some kind of mix up in the directions. The barn is probably on this road somewhere down a little bit further. I'm sure if I drive a little bit further, I'll see the barn and I'll see cars. So I drove a little bit further and there was no barn. And I drove a little bit further and there was no barn. And after a while of driving, I realized there's just no barn on this road at all. And so I thought, oh boy. So I got out my phone and I thought, well, maybe I'll just call someone in the wedding. But then it occurred to me when I got my phone out that I was in Southern Ohio and apparently they don't believe in cell phone range down there because I was completely out of range. And so I thought, okay, now at this point, I started to kind of freak out a little bit. I was like, I got to get to this wedding. I, have, I still have some time, but I don't know where to go. So I backtracked the directions on the map. I tried it again. I got the same result. I did it again. I got the same result. Now I'm starting to freak out a little bit. And I, I'm watching the clock on my dashboard and I'm, you know, the hour is approaching where the wedding is gonna happen. I'm starting to get a little panicky about it. And so I decided, and looking back, this maybe wasn't the best decision I've ever made. I decided I was gonna start going down some of the side roads. I thought, well, maybe if I go down some of these side roads, I'll find the barn. 
So I started driving down the side roads. Long story short, I get totally lost. I mean, completely disoriented. Like I couldn't find my way back to where I started if I wanted to. And so now I am just flat out freaking out. And I'm watching the clock and I'm like, I've got to get to this, to this wedding. I'm going to miss it. And so I'm driving and I'm speeding and I'm praying. I'm not sure if God answers prayers when you speed, but I was doing both of those things at the same time. And I'm driving and I would tell you, it it was an amazing situation driving on the road and suddenly like an oasis in the desert, there's this gas station in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, oh, thank God, I'm gonna go in here and maybe someone can help me. So I run into the gas station and apparently the lady behind the counter must have been able to tell that I was flustered because the first thing she said when she saw me, because I got my suit on and everything, first thing she said when she saw me was, oh no. And she said, "Uh, can I help you with something? And I said, yes, I don't know if you can, but if you can please help me. I said, I am lost. I don't know where I am. And she said, where are you trying to go? I said, I'm looking for a barn. And she's like, there's a lot of those around here. I said, I, I know, but this is a barn. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, the pastor. I'm officiating a wedding. My friends are getting married in a barn. And she said, when's the wedding? I said, it's like in a half an hour. And she's like, oh, you're in trouble, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. I said, can you help me? And so we started to talk. And I'm telling you, this is just God's grace. But this lady said to me, she said, wait a minute. You said it's a couple that's getting married. I said, yeah. She said, in a barn. She said, yeah. She said, are you talking about? And then she said the name of the family. And I said, yes, yes, that's who I'm talking about. And she said, I know them. She said, I grew up with them. She said, they live very close to here. They're only like eight, like eight to 10 minutes away. I was like, oh, praise Jesus. I said, can you tell me how to get there? She said, sure, that would be no problem at all. And she said, where, where, where did you come from? Where did you, what were you, you know, what directions did they give you? So I showed her the directions. I said, this is what they told me to do. And she looked at the directions. She said, oh, honey, those are all wrong. And I said, I know, I know. I said, but what am I supposed to do? And so she said, well, she said, do you, know, do you know where you are? I said, I have no idea where I'm at. So she pulls out this map and she plops it on the counter and she says, so here's what's going on. She said, you're coming from the Northeast Ohio area from like Akron. I said, yep. So you probably came down 71, right? I said, yep. She said, then when you came down 71, you probably got off at this exit, didn't you? I said, yep. And then she said, and then what did you do? I said, I went over here like the map told me to. She said, you see, that's where you went wrong. You should have went this way. And she said, and, and, and you don't know where you are? I said, nope. She said, you're here. You are here. She pointed to a place on the map. And I was like, oh. And then she said, and the barn that you're looking for is over here. And suddenly, when she pointed this out, everything made sense. And I was oriented in the right direction. And I knew exactly what I needed to do. And then this lady went on to give me, and I kid you not, maybe some of the most podunk backwoods directions I've ever gotten in my life. She was like, you're going to want to get on this road over here, go down about three miles when you see a greenhouse on the right, go ahead and turn down a gravel driveway on the left. If you go down the gravel driveway, go about a quarter mile. If you see an old man in a rocking chair with a blind dog, that's Uncle Cletus. You went too far. Say hi to Uncle Cletus. Turn around. It was like, not exactly like that, but it was kind of like that. That was like the directions. And so I get in the car, I zoom over, I get to the wedding, get this. I get there with 10 minutes to spare. 
And uh, the family, as soon as I get out of the car, the family's like, where have you been? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I got lost. And they said, we're just glad you're here. I'm like, me too. And uh, we went in and, and we did the wedding and everything went great and everyone lived, like they say, happily ever after. Uh, here's why I tell you that story, though. The reason I tell you that story is because my guess is, is that all of us in this room can relate to that feeling. Maybe you've never officiated a wedding before, but my, ga- my guess is you can relate to that feeling of being lost and being disoriented. My guess is you can probably relate to the confusion and the frustration and the anxiety that that induces on you, especially when the stakes are high. My guess is you can probably also relate to the feeling of relief that you get when you finally get oriented and you know with clarity what you need to do and where you need to go. Here's, here's, Here's why I tell you all of those things. It's because it's one thing It's one thing to be lost in a car, lost and disoriented when you're on a road trip. It's one thing to be lost and disoriented when you're on your way to an event. It's an entirely other thing to be lost and disoriented in life. To have no sense of clear direction, to be aimless, to feel like you're uncertain in where you're going, that's a whole different circumstance altogether. Here's what I know about every single person in this room. Whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're investigating Jesus, whether you're a church person or you're not a church person, here's what I know about every single person in this room, whether you are aware of it or not. And that's this, that all of us are navigating through this life and we are journeying through this life and we're all trying to make sense of it in such a way that we are navigating with some type of master map that was directing the decisions that we're making. Uh, philosophers would put it this way. Everybody in this room, whether you're aware of it or not, has a worldview. And what is a worldview? Well, a worldview, simply put, is basically a master map. It is a bigger picture of the world and of reality that you are orienting yourself to at any given moment. And here's what's true about every person in this room, is that every single one of us has a worldview. We all have a way that we are trying to navigate and trying to make sense of life. And philosophers would say this. They would say that every worldview, as different as they might be, every worldview has this one thing in common. And the one thing is that every worldview is trying to, at any given time, answer these four questions. And here's the four questions. Number one, where did everything come from? Where did everything come from? So what is the starting point of our story? What is the beginning of our journey through life? What is our origin story? Every worldview is trying to and is seeking to answer this question. Number two, every worldview is answering what went wrong. What's the matter with the world that we live in? So every worldview is gonna say, when you look at the world we live in and when you see disease and when you see war and when you see the, heart, the hurt, hurtful and harmful things that we do to each other, like in the media and the news, everyone has to give an account and a reason for why does that happen? So every worldview is trying to answer that. Every worldview is answering what is the solution? So what is the step forward? What is the path to progress? And then every worldview is answering where's it all going? What is the ultimate destination? Where's all of this heading? And what is the final arrival point for all of us? Now, like I said, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you know it or not, whether it's consistent or not, every single person in this room has a worldview. We all do. And we're all trying to make sense of life and we're trying to make sense of our world in light of these four questions. So just for instance, let's just talk about one worldview, all right? So let's just say, for example, that you are a naturalist. 
All right, so a naturalist, by the way, is someone who believes that the material universe is all that there is, is all that exists. Basically, a materialist is someone that says the observable universe is all that we can really know. And so if that's you, maybe you're an atheist or maybe you're an agnostic, and that would be your worldview. By the way, if that's you, if you're an atheist or you're an agnostic and you're here this morning, I just want to tell you, man, we are so thankful that you're here. My guess is that probably the reason that you found yourself to church this morning is because a friend invited you. Maybe you're investigating faith, you're investigating Jesus, and that's why you're here. Maybe there's someone cute that that's why you're here, right? So I don't know why you're here, but if that's you and you're in this room, I just want to tell you, we are so thankful that you're here. We say this all the time, but I mean it. If you're a person investigating Jesus, we count it an absolute honor that you would let us be part of your investigation. You could do whatever you want with your Sunday morning. And the fact that you'd let us play a part of that, that's, we, we don't take that lightly. So thank you for that. But if you are an atheist and you're an agnostic, you might answer these four, even though you might not know it, you're answering these four questions. So for example, where did everything come from? Well, if you're a naturalist, what you would say is everything that we see around us, including humanity, is basically the result of a chance biological process. So something like evolution, right? There's no deity behind it. There's no God behind it. There's no logic behind it. It's just a chance biological evolutionary process. Now, because you have that worldview, that is going to affect the way that you view yourself and it's going to impact the way you view other people and the world that you live in. You look at the question number two, what's wrong with the world? But if you're a naturalist, you would say, well, when you look at disease and you look at wars and you look at the terrible things that we do to each other, that those things are actually just natural byproducts of survival of the fittest, that that's not morally good or bad. It just is. It's just what it is. And that's how you would kind of explain that. If you said, what's, what's the solution? What's the path forward? If you're a person who is a naturalist, what you would say is you would say, well, the, the solution is advancement cultural advancement, scientific advancement, educational advancement, medical advancement. That's how we're gonna help solve some of the perceived problems in the world. And if you were a naturalist and I said, where's it all going? You would say it's all going nowhere. That basically this life is all we have because it is a chance that it happened anyway, that at the very end, nothing is gonna happen. There's no hope after this life. This life is all we have. And depending on how you answer these questions, it's going to impact the way you live your life. It's gonna impact what you value. It's gonna impact how you view other people and how you view yourself. Does that make sense? Everybody has a worldview. Now we could plug in a bunch of different worldviews. We could talk about postmodern relativism and how that fits into this. We could talk about those who are people of faith, Christianity, we could plug that into this as well, so on and so forth, but here's my point. My point is that all of us believe something we all believe something. Whether you're aware of it or not, we're all navigating ourselves in these ways. I actually really like the way Oprah Winfrey said it. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, who I don't necessarily agree with on much, uh, said something I thought was really insightful, though. Here's what she said in an interview. She said, you cannot be in the world without believing something, even if you don't call it a deity. I thought that was really insightful. You see what Oprah's saying? She's saying, listen, everybody, everybody has a belief, everybody in the world has a belief system. Everybody has a faith system in something, even if you don't call it God, even if you don't call it, you know, necessarily something that would be religious. Everyone believes something. One thing that's true about every person on planet Earth is all of us have faith. That was interesting. Joss Whedon, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Joss Whedon. He's a famous director. He directed the first two Avengers movies. 
And he is a brilliant storyteller, masterful, masterful storyteller. He's also an outspoken atheist. And there was an interview and someone was talking to him and they said, Joss, you're a very outspoken atheist and you would admit that you don't believe that there is such a thing as moral good and moral evil. And Joss said, that's correct. And they said to Joss, they said, so, so how is it that because your worldview is that you don't believe in good and evil, that you believe this is all kind of a matter of chance, how are you able to construct some of the most incredible stories that tell about real good overcoming real evil, that talk about real heroes and real villains? How are you able to tell these amazing stories like that? And Josh said something I thought was really profound. Here's what he said, and I quote him in this interview. He said, someone once asked me if I have anything like faith. And I said, I have faith in the narrative. I believe in a narrative, a story that's bigger than me, and I trust that it's going to work itself out. And I remember when I read that, I thought, Joss, do you know what you just said, man? And he didn't respond because I was reading it. But, <laughs> but what he's saying is this, I have faith. I have faith. I have faith in something. I have faith that there's a beginning. I have faith there's an end. And I have faith that somehow it's going to work itself out. Here's my point. Every single one of us believes something and we're navigating through this life based on some bigger belief, whether you're aware of it or you're not aware of it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether it's consistent or it's inconsistent. We're all doing that. Now, here's what this series is all about and here's why this is so important. Here at Grace Church, we believe, and it's probably absolutely no surprise to any of you when I say this, we believe that God, in his loving kindness and in his grace, that he has chosen to reveal and to provide for us clear and compelling answers to all four of these questions. We believe that God has chosen because he loves us so much and because he doesn't want us to be lost in meandering in this life without any sense of purpose, that he has actually oriented us and has given us the master map of how we can understand reality and navigate through it. And we believe, it probably comes as no surprise to you, we believe that the way that, that God chose to reveal that to us is through the Bible. That's what we believe at Grace. We believe that this, this group of 66 manuscripts that was compiled over a thousand year period of time we believe that this is what God has given us, his revelation to us. He has revealed to us in a very clear and compelling way the answers to these questions. He has given us the master story, the master map that we are to orient our lives around. Now, my guess is there's probably a lot of you in this room that are not surprised by that, and there's probably a lot of you in this room that would agree with that. You would say, I agree with that. That's, that's my belief. That's what I adhere to as well. And that's all fine and good, but here's the problem. And here's why this series, I think, is so important. I believe that the problem is this, that as many of us might agree with that or might even believe that, that there actually is a deep issue with the way that we read the Bible. In my experience, what I have found is that many people who would say, I believe and trust the Bible, and that many people who are investigating the Bible have an issue and have a misunderstanding in how we approach the Bible. Some of you might be saying, what do you, what do you mean by that exactly? All right, let me see if I can put it this way. So this is where Luke 24 comes in, all right? I think Luke 24 is gonna help us really kind of understand what I mean when I say that many of us have an issue with how we read and how we understand the Bible. 
All right, so you got your Bibles open there to Luke 24. Let me just give you a little bit of the background of the story that we're about to read. I think Luke 24 contains within it maybe one of the most amazing stories and one of the most amazing counts of all of scripture. So in Luke 24, uh, what's going on is this is resurrection day. So this is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's the first Easter Sunday. And Luke tells us something in his account that the other gospels don't tell us. And I think maybe it's one of the coolest stories in all of the Bible. So in the gospel of Luke, Luke actually zooms in on two disciples. And the two disciples he zooms in on, one is named Cleopas, and the other one is not unnamed. We don't know who it was. A lot of commentators think maybe it was Cleopas's wife. And so you have Cleopas and you have his wife, or whoever this other disciple is. And the Bible says that they're walking home from Jerusalem. To, to their home, which would have been in a place called Emmaus. Now, Emmaus was about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that the reason that these two disciples were walking home is because they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were disciples. They believed that Jesus was the one who was gonna be the Messiah, who was going to you know, establish his kingdom. But then they saw him die. And after they saw Jesus die on a cross, my guess is their hopes were completely dashed. And so now they're walking home. And the Bible says that as they're walking home, they're confused and they're frustrated and they are deeply sad and despondent. And one of the coolest uh, kind of accounts in the whole Bible, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ himself in resurrected form comes up and starts walking with these two disciples. And somehow he conceals his identity from them. We don't know exactly how he did that, but somehow he's incognito and Jesus comes up next to these two disciples and he begins to walk with them on the road. And when Jesus comes up, he starts to, he begins by kind of playing coy. So he comes up to these two disciples and he basically says to him, hey guys, why are you so sad? And the Bible says that these two disciples look at Jesus and they're like, where have you been? Have you not been around Jerusalem for the past couple of days to know what's been going on? And Jesus, again, kind of playing coy, he looks at him and he says, well, what kind of things have been going on? And they went on to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. And then these disciples say maybe one of the most ironic things in the entire Bible. They say this. They said, we had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. We had hoped that he would be the one that would redeem Israel, but he died on a cross. That's what they said. So ironic. We had hoped he would be the Messiah. We had hoped he would be the one who would deliver us from our sins, but he died on a cross. And so I can only imagine Jesus maybe kind of smirked a little bit. And look what Jesus says to his disciples. Here's what he says. This is verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory. Here's what Jesus says. He says, how foolish are you guys? Didn't you read what the prophet said? The Messiah had to suffer so that he could become the Messiah. You wanted Jesus, you wanted the Messiah to be the one that was going to forgive you of your sins. The way that that was to happen was that he had to die and he had to suffer. Then look at this next verse. I love this verse so much. I would encourage you to maybe even commit it to memory. If you've been part of the equipping division, you already have, but this is the verse. Look at this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, look at this, concerning himself. Wow. 
That is a cool verse. Now, I want you to notice something. If you're a person who's new to the Bible, you might not know that the Bible has a lot of different ways of referring to itself. And so here, when it says Moses and the prophets and the scriptures, the reason that's capitalized is because that was a way that people talked about the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. And so Moses, when it said beginning with Moses, it's actually talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's sometimes called the Pentateuch. And those books are attributed to Moses, to the writings of Moses. So beginning with the first five books of the Old Testament and then going on to the prophets. Now, some of you know in the Old Testament, there's a bunch of prophets. So prophets are guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Hosea and Malachi, the Italian prophet, also called Malachi, right? So you got those prophets as well. And Jesus goes through, beginning with Moses, and then through all the prophets, he explained to them what the capital S scriptures, what's that talking about? It's talking about all the other books of the Old Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. He goes through, look at this, this is incredible. Jesus, on this seven-mile walk, does a Bible study. And he walks his disciples through the entire Old Testament and he explains to them how everything from Moses in the law to the prophets in the scriptures was about him. I was telling you, man, if I could have been there for any Bible study in my life, I'd love to have been there on this walk, this one right here. And Jesus basically looks at these guys and he says this, he says, listen, The reason you guys are so sad and the reason you're so frustrated and the reason you're so despondent and the reason that you're so aimless and you're walking home, it's because you've misread it. You misunderstood it. You weren't reading the map correctly. And so then Jesus orients them to a new reality and he opens their eyes to the truth of what scripture says. See, I think what this passage does for us is I think it reveals to us a powerful insight into the Bible that we oftentimes miss or neglect. And what's that? Well, let me me put it to you this way. Um, I think that there are two ways you can read the Bible. All right, there's two ways you can read the Bible. And I want you to hear me say this. I think both ways are good. Both ways are good. I'm not saying one is bad and one is good. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying are both are good, but one is neglected. There's two ways to read the Bible. One is very popular. It's probably the way that most of us read the Bible. But there's another way that's, that's equally as good and maybe even more important, but it's oftentimes missed. And what is that? Well, let me see if I can explain it this way. I heard it explained to me this one way. I thought it was so helpful. I want you to think of the Bible for a minute. Think of the whole scripture as a tree, all right? So just imagine with me a tree. And imagine the whole thing, right? So you have the roots, you have the, the, the trunk, and then you have you know, the branches and you have the, the leaves. That, this is the whole Bible all the way through, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. This is the whole Bible. Now, there's two ways we can read the Bible. There's two ways. Here's the first way. Number one is, and this is the most popular way, is you can read the Bible against the grain, against the grain. So you're like, what do you mean by that? I always just say that I was to take a chainsaw and I was to come in here and I was just to cut out a portion Right, I was to cut out a slice of, I don't think that's the best way to say that, a slice of a tree. But I, let's say I was to cut out a part of the tree right here, okay? Now, if I was to do that, what that would leave me with is it would leave me with kind of like this, this slice, this, this log, this small log. And I think a lot of us, um, this is the way that most of us tend to read the Bible, is we will come into the Bible and we'll just take out a piece. We'll take out a slice of it and we'll read that. So for example, let's just say that I went into the Bible here 
and I just went into the book of Genesis, and I just took out a slice. And let's say this slice was the story of Joseph, all right? Some, some of you might be familiar with the story of Joseph. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. And what you do, what we do is we'll read the Bible, we'll take out this slice, and we'll read it. And each slice has its own plot line. It has its own story structure. It has its own hero. So in the story of Joseph, the hero is Joseph. And it has its own moral. So what's the moral of the story of Joseph? Well, if you've ever read it before, basically we'll look at it and we'll say, well, the moral of the story is, look at Joseph. He trusted God even when things were rough. And even though his faith was unfaltering, even though his circumstances were so terrible, God took care of him. And so if we remain faithful, even in difficult circumstances, God will be with us just in the same way he is with Joseph. Now, let me tell you, that is a great way to read the Bible. That's a good way to read the Bible, for sure. It's great. We did a whole series on the book of Joseph here, and we basically said that very same thing, right? So that's one way you can read the Bible. Or how about this? You can go into the Bible. We can take out another slice. So let's say we went in here, and we just went in, we pulled out, we pulled out the story of David and Goliath. Okay, we do this all the time in Sunday school. Pull out this story, and we say, okay, what's that story about? We say, well, it's got its own storyline, and it has its own kind of you know, plot, and it has a hero. And who's the hero? David is the hero. And what's the moral? The moral of the story is if we trust God and put our faith in him, the way that David trusted God and put his faith in him, we can defeat the giants in our life the same way that David defeated the giants. And with God's help, we can defeat the giants. Now, let me ask you, is that a good interpretation of that passage? Sure, that's a great way to read the Bible. It's a great way to read the Bible. However, however, if we only read the Bible this way, if we only read the Bible's way, what we're left with is we're left viewing the Bible basically as a series of stacks. It's a bunch of stories. So I have an Abraham slice, and I got a Moses slice, and I got a Joseph slice, and I got a Jesus slice. And we can have this whole thing together. And when we read the Bible this way, the Bible can seem disjointed, and it can seem disconnected, and it can seem frustrating, and it can seem confusing because we don't know how it all fits together. And the other thing is, if we approach the Bible this way, it tends to make the Bible nothing more than a book of good morals. I should live this way. I shouldn't live this way. But there's another way to read the Bible. There's another way. And this is the way that's oftentimes missed. It's missed. And that is to read the Bible with the grain. That is to read it in a way where you're looking at the whole thing vertically, from not, not across this way, but from root to branch, to look at the whole thing, and basically to read the Bible as one single story. That the Bible is not simply a compendium of a bunch of individual stories, all with their own morals, but the Bible is several chapters that's telling one story, and it has one hero. It's all connected together. And I think that this way right here is that many of us don't know how to do this. And I don't, I honestly, I don't think pastors and churches help very much. I don't know if we help very much. Because a lot of times when we come in here and we do a sermon series, what we do is we grab a slice. We say, let's talk about this slice of the Bible for the next several weeks. And then we go back to it. And that's a fine way to do it. It's a fine way to teach the Bible. But if all we do is that and we never do this, I think we're missing the great joy of understanding the whole thing as a single story. That's what Jesus does on the road to Emmaus. Jesus looks at these disciples and basically he says to them, the reason you're confused and the reason you're frustrated and the reason that you're despondent and the reason that you're aimless is because you misunderstood it. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He told them the whole story. And once he reoriented them to the whole story, you know what the response was? Here's what the Bible says. Look at verse 32. It says, they asked each other, the disciples, were not our hearts burning? Were not our hearts ablaze within us? When he talked with us on the road and he opened our eyes to the scriptures. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. So I want you to see what happens. Here's two disciples walking home from Jerusalem, despondent, frustrated, confused, and aimless, not knowing where to go in life. They spend one seven-mile walk with Jesus. Jesus opens their mind to the scriptures. He reorients them to a new reality where suddenly they can see the whole story. And what's the response? They go from being despondent and being downcast to being full of joy with their hearts ablaze. They go from being aimless and walking home to immediately turning around and with such purpose and urgency going seven miles back in the very direction that they came from because they have a renewed sense of purpose and they have a renewed sense of mission. So here's what I believe. I believe that when we orient ourselves to the story rightly, it brings joy, it brings passion, it brings mission, it brings purpose, it brings focus. It brings all of those things to us and it helps us locate you are here and this is how you are to navigate through the story of God. So let me tell you what we're gonna try to do in the series. This week is just an introduction, but for the next several weeks in the series, here's the goal, all right? We wanna give you a picture to the best that we know how to My goal, our hope, is that we can give you a way to understand the Bible as one single story, that you can understand how it all connects, that you can see it from root to branches, that you can connect the whole meta-narrative of the Bible. And if you're the kind of person who likes a roadmap, if you're like, tell me, where are we going throughout the rest of the series? Let me just tell you, for the next 10 weeks. That's right. It is a 10, well, it's 11 week because this is an introduction. It is 10 weeks. We're going to go through these 10 mile markers together. So this is our roadmap. And I'm going to say what we're going to say in this series is I think you can articulate the story of God. I think you can articulate the entire Bible as one big story in 10 major mile markers. And what are those? Well, here's what we're going to say for the next 10 weeks. We're going to say God creates, we rebel, God promises, we wander, God builds, we destroy, the Father sends, the Son rescues, the Spirit indwells, and God reigns. And we believe this is it. This is the big story from front to end that answers all the questions of where did we come from, what went wrong, what is the solution, and where are we going? And we believe that when we orient ourselves to this reality, that it helps us not only make sense of the Bible, but it helps us make sense of our own lives as well. So for the next 10 weeks, we're gonna journey through these things together. Now, it probably doesn't surprise you as well that we have some goals attached to this. So let me just tell you what my goals are. We have three goals throughout this next 10 weeks, and here they are. Number one is, our hope is that everybody, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're a person investigating Jesus, that everyone would know this story. Okay, so our hope is that you would know it. We want you to know it, to understand it, to know how it's all connected, This is actually one of the only series that we've done in a long time where power kids are gonna be joining us. I don't mean in the room, that would be a disaster. Um, But uh, disaster's not the right word. That would be challenging, right? 
But, uh, but back in the Power Kids wing, they're also doing this same series. And so for the next 10 weeks, they're going to be learning this story, learning how to articulate this story, knowing these 10 icons and being able to work their way through it. So number one, the goal is that we want everyone to know it. Never want to know it. Number two, though, is that we want everybody, we want to invite everybody to live it, to not just know this story and fill your mind with it, but we want to invite you to find your place within this story. See, here's what I believe with, with all of my heart. I believe that when we orient ourselves to God's story, that we are able to truly understand ourselves and understand others and understand the world and orient ourselves rightly within it. So many times in this life, we try to make God part of our story. I think that's a big mistake. I think the better way is that we find our place in his story and that when we do that, we find the purpose of why we're really made. So my, my hope and prayer is that through this series, that as we go through these things, that you will be able to orient yourself to this story, that this story will uh, define the way you view yourself. It will define the way you view your world. It'll define the way you view others. It'll define your priorities in life. It'll begin to change those things. So we wanna know this story, we wanna live this story. And here's the last one. If you've been around Grace, not a surprise. We wanna help you and equip you to give it away. I want you to give this story away. So this is not just for us to know more and it's not just so that we can compile more information about the Bible. But the hope is that we would be equipped to know how to articulate and share this story and give it away to other people. My hope and prayer is that by the end of the series, that you would be able to rattle these 10 things off and you'd be able to explain them briefly and be able to do that in a very clear and compelling way. And that would equip you to share it with your kids. That would equip you to share it with the next generation. That would equip you to share it with your neighbor and your coworkers and your friends in ways that hopefully are clear and are compelling and make sense and are connected. So those are the goals that we're going after together. We wanna know this story, we wanna live this story, we wanna give this story away throughout the series. I wanna ask the band to come up at this time and as we uh, kind of close out our introduction, just a couple of quick things I wanna say uh, as we end and that's this, is you know, we've been, we've been working on this and praying about this series for a long time and um, as we've been working and praying on this, this series, I've been personally really excited about this and one of the reasons is because I believe this series is incredibly important. Uh, maybe even more important than you might first realize. And it's important for everybody. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I think one of the reasons that this is so important is that if we follow Christ, then what that means is if we truly are following Jesus, one of the, one of the ways that we do that is we follow him into his understanding of the scripture. We wanna have the same view of the Bible that Jesus did. I've heard more and more people today say things like this, I love Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. I like Jesus, but I can't stand the Old Testament. And so basically, I've heard people basically say, give me Jesus and let's scrap the Bible. I'm telling you, I think that's a really big mistake. I think the reason that's a big mistake is because if in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, all of Moses and the prophets and the scriptures are about me, what that tells us is this. It tells us that we cannot rightly understand Jesus without the Bible. We can't. Jesus said, man, if this whole thing is Moses and the prophets and the scriptures are about me, what that means is if we don't understand how those things are about Jesus, then we are at risk of wrongly understanding Jesus. And so for us to have a right perspective, we have to understand the whole thing. I think the other thing that reveals to us is this, is that we can't rightly understand the Bible without Jesus. 
And so we can't rightly understand the Bible if we don't see how the whole thing anticipates and foreshadows and foresees Jesus Christ. So our hope is to make some of those connections together. It's a very important series for those of us who follow Christ. And I would say for everybody, if whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or not, the reason this series is so important is because do you know what one of the, one of the major uh, terms the Bible uses to describe our spiritual condition is? The Bible will say over and over again that we are lost. The Bible would say spiritually, that's our condition. We're lost. That we are aimless, that we're all trying to figure out purpose in this life, that we're all trying to find meaning, that we're all grabbing for different ways to respond to those things. And the Bible would look and say that God looks at us and he sees that we are lost. And God loves us so much and he cares about us so much that he has not left us in the dark and he has provided us clear and compelling ways that we could be found. And so I believe that what's at stake in this series, quite honestly, is that this series has the potential to obliterate the, the feeling of ever being lost again. And that if you can rightly understand the story of God and you can orient yourself to it, I believe that you will find your place within it. And I believe that that is the purpose that God has for every single one of us, is that we might know his story that we might find our place within it and that we might take our part within his great story that he has for all of us. One final thing I'll say too is some of you are here and you might be thinking, man, this is, this is all interesting and it's all good and stuff, but I still got a lot of questions, man. I got all kinds of questions about the Bible. You know, you're talking about the Bible and I don't know, how do I know I can trust it? You know, I got all these questions about it and you know, I, you talk about, you know, Jesus being the answer and I don't even know about Christianity. And let me just tell you that there's so much to say about that that we can't address in one sermon. But I will tell you this, we have some great resources I would point you to. And uh, one of those is actually within our equipping division. Have you never heard of our equipping division? They're just, they're these university level applied ministry training courses. We have two uh, that we offer in the spring semester is coming up. One is called, What is the Bible? And the other one is called, What do Christians believe? And in those courses, man, we go in depth. They're eight weeks, two and a half hours, and we deal with some of those big questions like where do we get the Bible that we have? How are we to understand it? What do Christians actually believe? If you've never connected to those, I would encourage you to do that. You can actually register online now. You can save your place for the spring semester that's coming up. But if you have more questions, that'd be a good place for you to go. It's a great resource for you. And if you have more questions, I would highly encourage you to come back. Because over the next 10 weeks, hopefully as we unfold this story, you'll make more connections and it'll make more sense to you as we go. So I'm excited. Next 10 weeks together as we journey through this series, you are here. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you that you didn't leave us alone in this life without any direction and without any clarity. You didn't drop us into this life in the dark without giving us any way to know where we are, where we came from, or where we're going. But we believe that you've loved us enough that in your loving kindness, you have revealed to us the story of everything. And Father, we believe that if we orient ourselves to that story correctly, that that will that'll redefine the way that we navigate through life, the way we view ourselves, the way we view others, and the way we view the world that we live in. So I just wanna pray even now as we begin this series, would you, would you just meet us, God? I pray that in the same way that you open the eyes and the hearts and the minds of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that you would open our eyes and our minds. Help us to see the whole thing. Help us to see it like you see it. 
I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds in the same way, that our hearts might be ablaze and that we might be full of the same clarity and purpose and passion that those disciples were. So Father, we're excited and we have great anticipation that you're gonna work. And we just wanna ask these things and pray them in Christ's name, amen.